0: I've also decided that I'm going to Rin Fair this uh, summer if COVID is allowing so. Yeah, um, I had a
1: lot of fun two years ago.
0: Yeah, so I got me some um, peasant tops. I'm going to get me a cute little skirt or something, and I'm going to get me one of those corseted underbust thingies.
1: I can send you a link to the dress I have.
0: Oh, yeah, because I was looking for dresses, and there's a lot of cute ones on Amazon, but...
1: That's actually where I got mine. Is it? Yeah,
0: I wonder if it's the one I was looking at because I was looking at one that was like thirty dollars.
1: I yeah, that might be it. I think so. Is it like a
0: shorter, like right here,
1: uh, or is it a long sleeve one? Yeah, it might be the same one. Actually, no, (laughs) no, it's um, it's like oh, so it's like a cap
0: sleeve one. Yeah,
1: and um, the uh, it's just like really basic. Like it's got the under dress, and then it's got like a oh, it's got like the
0: petticoat over top of it. Hold on. I did see this really pretty Celtic petticoat that was all over top of one of them. This one? Yeah! So, I also have to say, last night while I was looking at the um, peasant renaissance dresses, I was also looking at the You Think I Killed My Husband robe. <gasps>
1: oh, how much are they? How much are they? Um, $120. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> kind of worth it. I'm Kind of worth it. <laughs> I am so sorry. I do have news. What's your news? Jojo Siwa is gay. Um, And she is replacing Ellen DeGeneres. Oh, no. It's like, she's yes. the new supreme. I saw a uh, TikTok, then I very much agree with it. Uh, nice. I don't remember the username of that person, but they're like, she's the new supreme, and, like, the older she gets, the more into herself she she gets, Ellen's power starts fading away. <laughs> so. That is actually kind of hilarious. <laughs> I love it. But, yeah, I just, just thought that was really nice. I like that kids will have a really, like, someone that they already love and look up to. Okay. Okay, we need us. to do this. Yeah,
0: we need to do this. Okay. Hello. 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 Hi. I'm Rachel and that is Grace.
1: I'm Grace and that is Rachel. You know uh, Hopefully what you know this who is. we are.
0: I mean, come on.
1: I'm moving a lot. You are have you I had don't know caffeine? Why. Caffeine? I did. I tried Coke for the first time in, um, I mean, no, 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 no Coca Cola. Coca Cola, yeah. <laughs> um, I'll cut it. I'll cut it. No, no, no. It's good. It's good. It's okay. Good. Um, I took my brother to Wendy's, and they gave he he likes Coke with no ice, and mm-hmm. they gave us one with ice. So I asked for. <laughs> one without ice because he's very particular yeah and um
0: and sheridan's the same way she can't have ice in her coat
1: yeah so they were like well we can't take the other one back so just keep it and i was like great i don't like it yeah so I was thanks like, but I, thanks i, was I like, hate it i was like yeah I was like, <laughs> well i'm i'm kind of thirsty let me just i don't know <laughs> it was not good
0: thanks i hate it <laughs> yeah well, um, so where are we this, this
1: week? week? Um, also,
0: by the way, anyone um, listening, if you hear some weird rustling from my side, I apologize. We are trying to reduce the sounds that we get and yeah. the echo that we get. So I am currently sitting under a
1: sheet. Which I think is <laughs> really, really funny because I'm the one who's got like the echoey background. yeah. And you're the one with the sheet. Yeah. Okay, this week we are in New South Wales, Australia. I was going to say, wait, Wales. (laughs) New South Wales, Australia. Okay. So my sources are aboriginalheritage.org, aboriginalartaustralia.com, iexplore.com, wikipedia.org, wikipedia.org, wanderlost, uh, wanderlost, (laughs) Wonder all those <laughs> who wander
0: are not lost
1: <laughs> i'm lost wanderlust.co.uk so the original inhabitants of new south wales were the aboriginal tribes who arrived in australia some say about like 40 to 60,000 years ago holy crap apparently from indonesia is the area most thought to be hmm. where they're from. Although large, Australia is still an island and a lot of the different Aboriginal clans live near the water. I mean obviously there were ones who were more like, inland. In yeah. Yeah. So they fished and hunted in the waters and surrounding land and harvested food from the surrounding bush. Mm -hmm. resources were also abundant like they didn't need to travel far from their lands but they did trade with other tribal groups and apparently it was common to move around the country during the changing seasons makes sense sort of like we do i mean Mm -hmm. they only needed to work about four to five hours a day to ensure their survival like that's it Wow! I wish because they had so much like readily available, and because they had so much leisure time, they were able to develop a really like complex and rich society from language and customs to spirituality and law. They were oh that's amazing yeah and they were really really connected to the land they have a sort of kinship with nature oh. and even acts such as killing animals for food or building shelter were really intertwined with ritual and spirituality yeah before european settlement before colonization there were around 600 diverse aboriginal populations based on language groups
0: oh wow
1: yeah. uh, to I'll, be
0: fair it's a really big continent it, it continent? really is yes yeah
1: (laughs) i was like is it a continent country (laughs) continent it definitely is i Um, always had an issue with that (laughs) because it's an island yeah yeah (laughs) They actually have the longest continuous cultural history of any group of people on Earth. That's amazing. Yeah, and, like, they were there for so long untouched. Like, they didn't have, like, a lot of communication with the outside world, which I'll bring up later. They probably wish they didn't. (laughs) Yeah. It's estimated that between 200... and 50,000 to 750,000 Aboriginal people inhabited Australia in 1770 when Lieutenant James Cook, the first European to visit New South Wales, he conducted a survey along the unmapped eastern coast of Australia, and in his original journals covering the survey, he he first named the land New Wales, after Wales, obviously. However, he revised the wording to New South Wales, And on top of this, he basically lied and said that it was no man's land, despite knowing full well that it was inhabited. So wait, why did... Well, why did he do
0: that? No. Why did he name it New South Wales instead know. of
1: just, you don't know? I think say. that doesn't make the, sense. The was areas, there another Wales? I think the, the area specifically, I think he wanted the entire land to be... To be called Wales? Yeah, and I guess the idea um, was that it would expand and that that area I mean, I never specifically did. would be south. Well, I mean, it did, but... it They didn't name it all, like, right, Wales. Right. Gotcha. Um, The first British settlement was made by what's known in Australian history as the First Fleet, which was led by Captain Arthur Phillip, who assumed the role of governor of the settlement on arrival in 1788 until 1792. The First Fleet included two Royal Navy vessels, three store ships, and six convict transports, carrying between 1,000 and 1,500 convicts. Marines, seamen, civil officers, and free people, and a large quantity of stores. Interestingly, they had originally tried to go to the 13 colonies in North Mm. America, but since they had recently broken with Britain, they were like, we're not taking convicts at this time, goodbye. Oh. There was a lot of food, fresh water, and shelter readily available before the colonizers arrived, but the British were greedy and lacked understanding of the aboriginal clan's ways like their ways of life they were also armed Mm. so it wasn't long before food shortages became a problem the british depleted the fish by netting huge catches and reduced the kangaroo population with unsustainable hunting they also cleared the land, and polluted the water. Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, This is when disease struck, and because the Aboriginal people had no resistance to the diseases carried by the sailors and convicts such as smallpox, syphilis, and influenza, in less than a year, over half the indigenous population living in the area had died from smallpox. Oh my god, that's horrible. Yeah.
0: That is horrible.
1: Aboriginal people fought to keep their land fiercely, but those not killed by disease were displaced when the land was cleared for farms and settlements. Because their numbers were depleted and they could no longer live off the land, they became dependent on the colonizers' food and clothing. They had middens, which is middens? An old, uh, It's an old dump for domestic waste, which consists of like, animal bone, you know, human oh, poop, yeah. and like botanical materials, molecules. So just a bunch of different stuff. So they had those shelters, engravings, and artistic remnants of indigenous life literally all over New South Wales. There weren't a lot of people left who knew their significance to pass down the information, but what was remembered was passed down through stories, dances, myths, and legends. And there's what's called the dreaming. It it's it's history on AboriginalHeritage.org. They explained its history of how the world, which was featureless, was transformed into mountains, hills, valleys, and water. The Dreaming tells about how the stars were formed and how the sun came to be. So basically, Aboriginal people disclose their dreaming stories to pass on, like, important knowledge, cultural values, and traditions, and law to future generations. Their dreamings are passed on through various customs, such as ceremonial body painting, storytelling, song, and dance, which I think is really lovely. So a new governor, Lieutenant Colonel, later Major General Macquarie, was sent from Britain to reform the settlement in 1809, and during his time as governor, he commissioned the construction of roads, wharves, churches and public buildings, sent explorers out from Sydney and employed a banner to design the street layout of sydney Sydney. I said Cindy <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's the new name for the city. Yep. Cindy. It's
1: Cindy. <laughs> Cindy. What did that mean? Cindy make me think? the wittiest cin- su- Sunday. Sunday Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> Okay. Good gracious. The British government encouraged migrants who, um, it was hoped that they would employ, discipline, and reform the convicts. Because of the growing numbers of ex-convicts and migrants, it kind of helped to convert New South Wales from a convict outpost to a free colony. And at the end of the 19th century, the movement toward federation between the Australian colonies gathered momentum. Australian federation occurred in 1901, and the Commonwealth of Australia was declared, which remained a part of the British empire new south wales was going to provide australia's new capital city with sydney or albury for as the front runners but tensions with victoria led to the creation of the australian capital territory similar to dc kind of kind of kind of and the national capital was handed to canberra the new south wales government ceded land for the development of that territory and there's a lot that i had to skip here because this was a lot and it's already a long. lot, yeah. Um so we're skipping forward. Sydney took over from Melbourne as the largest and most significant city in Australia during the twentieth century. Industrialization, especially like steelwork and mining in cities like Newcastle helped increase New South Wales' economic power. But following the demise of the steel industry in these areas during the nineteen seventies, the state began to focus on other fields including tourism, finance, and technology. Today New South Wales seems to have a really strong economy and a really diverse population. When it comes to places you can visit when covid is over which they seem to be doing really really well there
0: oh yeah everything that i've seen they're like a-plussing it
1: they're doing really good um they've had like less cases and deaths than our county alone so like total Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. um yeah anyway you can visit sydney opera house blue mountains um byron bay murmuring national park murmering National oh, Park. Oh, murmering. I heard Boomerang. <laughs> boomerang. <laughs> Mungo National Park. Um, also, I also found out that there is a Sydney gay and lesbian Mardi Gras, uh, which sounds nice. amazing. Yes, I do also want to mention that there are over 1,000 sites of Aboriginal culture and heritage in the areas of Sydney, known, uh, like North Sydney, Lane Cove, Willoughby, uh, Manly, Northern Beaches, and Strathfield councils. A lot of these sites are under threat every day from development, vandalism, and natural erosion. The sites can't be replaced, and once they're destroyed, they're gone forever. And a lot of them, a lot of them are in still in like reasonable condition and. I mean, obviously, they're an important part in aboriginal history and passing that on. I mean, that's a valuable link to their culture, so. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that was the history of New South Wales.
0: So, when I was doing my research, I obviously did not look into the history very much because I was just like, la-di-da, let me, I can't focus, let me just get through my story first. Mm -hmm. I did not know that Sydney was in New South Wales. Yes. so that's why the history was so long is because you like chose prime, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: prime Australia, everyone goes there.
1: Yeah, I think when I chose, wh- I chose your story, because it was one that was on your list. It I was don't on remember your- putting him on my list. Yeah, it was on your list. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, I'll just look that up. Okay, New South Wales, how big can that be? Turns out it's a state. It's a state, yeah. <laughs> and there's yeah. only six and Australia is huge. It's huge. So yeah. Of course yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. giant state has a lot of It's main Australia.
0: Yeah, so. Okay.
1: But yeah. What is the <laughs> Speaking of my story... Yes, please tell us your story of murder and betrayal and deceit.
0: I don't know about all that.
1: Okay. Um,
0: <laughs> my story is the story of Ivan Malat, a.k.a. the Backpacker Murderer. So, my story contains a brief mention of sexual assault that may be triggering for some listeners, so if that pertains to you, I'd advise that you fast-forward about 20 to 30 minutes to Grace's story. I mean, it's literally very brief at the very end. Okay. Okay. So my sources are theguardian.com, murderpedia.org, bbc.com, au.rollingstones.com, abc.net.au, allthatsinteresting.com. This was actually the most informative article that I read. Which one? Allthatsinteresting.com. Okay. dw.com, and two Wikipedia articles. So, Ivan Robert Marco Millat was born on December twenty seventh, 1944 to Stephen and Margaret Millat and was one of... 14 children. Holy shit. 14. Ugh. Despite the fact that the large family lived in a shack house in Moorbank, all of the Malat children were enrolled in private Catholic schools. Hmm. However, after school, they apparently got into a lot of mischief, and this was no different with young Ivan Malat. In fact, he became a very, very well-known troublemaker mm. and was sent to a residential school at the age of 13. Um, if you are like me and have a hard time grasping, a residential school is a boarding school and I'm dumb.
1: Oh, okay, that's not <laughs> dumb. We, I don't think we have those here.
0: We don't. We don't. But the fact that they said residential, my brain wasn't grasping that concept.
1: It's a group home. That's what I got out of that.
0: Yes. By the time that Milat was 17, he found himself in a juvenile detention center for theft. Around the same time, he also confessed to his brother, Boris, that he accidentally shot a taxi driver (gasps) during a stick-up that had gone awry. What the fuck? The man luckily survived, but was paralyzed from the waist down, and he was never caught and charged for this. Actually, another man was convicted and served five years in prison.
1: Oh my god.
0: By 19, he was caught for breaking and entering into a local shop, and he was sentenced to 18 months in jail. And after he was released, he was then arrested for driving a stolen vehicle and charged two years of hard labor. In September of 1967, at the ripe age of 22, Milat was sentenced to three years for theft yet again.
1: It's a profession.
0: Oh, yeah, it's a profession. Then in April of 1971, at 26, he was charged with the abduction of two 18-year-old hitchhikers and rape with one of them. Oh, damn. While awaiting his trial, he was apparently involved in a
1: string of robberies with some of his brothers. You know what? Smart. Smart. I'm on trial for something. Let me just go do a bunch of other bad shit. He then attempted suicide. Oh, fuck. Or pretended to attempt suicide. Pretended?
0: Pretended. He faked his suicide and fled to New Zealand for a year. He was arrested again in 1974, so obviously he came back. But all of the cases... That were filed against him in 1971 failed thanks to the Millat family lawyer. Oh. And according to... <laughs> like, I don't know if he was just a really good lawyer or if...
1: Like he had connections.
0: Yeah. Um, and according to sources after this, he apparently settled down for a little bit and got a job as a truck driver the following year. So, like, mellowed out... <laughs> because he
1: didn't get caught? I don't know. Have you ever noticed a lot of truck drivers, a lot of people turn to truck driving. I'm not saying, like, all truck drivers are like that. I'm saying that that is profession that oh, killers They're choose. never
0: in the same place twice. Exactly. I mean, they can be, they can but. Be,
1: if they have, like, a specific route, but still.
0: Yeah. Yeah. However, the police kept a close eye on him and his siblings. In fact, he was one of the first people that authorities thought of when several backpackers were reported missing from the Belanglo State Forest area. The first reported missing were a couple from Frankston, Victoria in Australia, Deborah Everest and James Gibson, they had left Sydney on December 30th, 1989, in order to attend ConFest. Also, um, derailing for just a brief second, my weeby self was like, oh, ConFest? Like a convention? Like Comic Con? No. Um, <laughs> it's actually much cooler. It's an alternative Bush campout festival Ooh, that okay. was began in 1976 to bring together various subcultures of the alternative movement.
1: Nice.
0: So, it used to be a super small thing, but now hosts over 7,000 participants annually over the course of the five day festival. That's cool. It's typically divided into s- numerous discrete villages, which host various <laughs> workshops. And some of the villages that were included in the 2019 Confest were the Acro Town, The Arts Village, Permaculture Village, Tranquility, specifically Drug and Alcohol-Free. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. Causeway Village, Ab Original, and Wimba Wimba Villages. Huh. Consent Cove, Veg Out Village, Doing It Ourselves Village, Drumming Village, Polly Village, Nudies Village, Family Village, Gypsy Village, Rainbow Village, which was the LGBT. Q plus village <laughs> uncertainty village uh, which is science and reason focused bliss village which is a vegan village open stage marketplace silent disco gokula space presence tint eco village wellness holly color cedar and workshop spaces
1: The those all sound super cool they might want to rethink the one with the um, the, <laughs> the slur. But <laughs> The one with the slur. Uh, but other
0: than that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, well, anyway, this festival just, you know, seems super cool and highly recommend going post-COVID. Yeah, that sounds really fucking cool. It sounds really cool. Anyway, back on topic. I'm so sorry. Disappearances. So, Simone Schmidl had been missing since January 20th, 1991. So, this is third person missing. Mm. Then, 11 months later, on December 26th, 1991, a German couple, Gable Nogbauer and Anya Habshi, they disappeared after leaving a King's Cross hostel. Then, in April of 1992, British backpackers Caroline Clark and Joanne Walters also went missing. When Clark and Walters' parents hadn't heard from them in a few weeks, they sprang into action, alerting police in both the UK and Australia. It didn't take long for journalists to um, start comparing their disappearances with those of, you know, the first two who went missing mm. and the German couple and Simone Schmittel.
1: So the, the, what is that, nine at this point?
0: Seven. 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 So fast forward to September 19th, 1922. Two runners discovered a corpse face down in the dirt with hands tied behind their back. Oh, God. The following morning, police discovered a second body only 30 meters away. It was quickly confirmed via dental records that these were the bodies of Clark and Walters. Walters was stabbed in total 14 times. Some sources said 32.
1: Holy shit.
0: But I went with 14 because it's... They had the most information, Mm. which still wasn't a lot. She was stabbed four times in the chest, once in the neck, and nine times in the back. One of those blows, severing her spine, which would have paralyzed her. Oh my god. Clark had been blindfolded, stabbed in the chest, and shot ten times in the head. It's been speculated that she had been used as target practice. Holy fuck. A search of the nearby area failed to turn up the remaining missing persons, unfortunately. The following month, a local man had been searching the woods close to his home for firewood when he discovered bones in a very remote section of the forest. He later returned with police to where he found them, and two sets of remains were discovered. They were later identified as Gibson and Everest, the first two who went missing. Gibson's remains were found in the fetal position with eight stab wounds. One stab wound showed that it had severed his spine, causing paralysis— uh, the other stab wounds to his back and chest would have punctured his heart and lungs. Jeez. Everest had been severely beaten, and her skull was fractured in two places. Her jaw was broken. There were knife marks across her forehead and a single stab to her back. The presence of the couple's bodies puzzled investigators, as Gibson's camera had been found on December thirty first, 1989, and his backpack on March 13, 1990, along the side of the road at Galston Gorge, which was... Over 120 kilometers north of where their bodies were found.
1: So he was driving, or they, whoever did it, was Uh driving around and randomly dropping their shit off?
0: Yeah. Or what more than likely happened is...
1: He picked them up there, dropped their shit? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, or like was throwing their shit out the window or something. On November 1st, 1993, another skeleton was found in a clearing along a fire trail in the same forest. It was later identified as Schmidl. The body bore eight stab wounds, two severing her spine and the others puncturing her lungs and heart, like gibbons. Clothing was also found at the scene, but these did not belong to Schmidl. They did, however, match another missing backpacker, Hapscheidt. The bodies of Hapsheed and Nugbauer were found three days later on another nearby fire trail. They had been buried in shallow graves. 50 meters apart. Nugbauer had been shot in the head six times, and Hapsheed had been decapitated. Oh. And despite an extensive search, her skull was never found, and still has not been found to this day. Huh. In response, on October 14th, the Task Air Force, which contained more than 20 detectives and analysts, was created. The New South Wales government... Increase the reward for information regarding the Belenglo serial killings to five hundred thousand Australian dollars. Public warnings were also issued, particularly aimed at international backpackers to avoid hitchhiking along the Hume Highway. After putting together a profile for the killer, police had a lot of data from numerous sources to analyze. They did manage to narrow down a list of suspects to only thirty-two people. Hmm. When it started really high. Okay, <laughs> Yeah. Due to the similar aspects of the murders, it was believed that the killer had to be a local with a four wheel drive. Which,
1: vehicle. I mean, it's Australia. How.
0: I feel like most people have four-wheel drive vehicles. I don't know. Each of the bodies of the victims had been dumped in remote bushland and covered with stick stones and leaves. Each had suffered multiple stab wounds in the torso, and many also showed signs of sexual assault. Oh. It's also thought that the victims may not have died immediately and were left to suffer. There also seemed to be evidence that the killer had restrained and spent time with the victims, both before and after their deaths. Oh. Campsites had been discovered close to the location of each body. Bullets matching those used on the victims were found at the campsites as well as shell casings and cartridge boxes that would also be matched to the crime scenes. One theory is that there were two killers, as the majority of the victims were attacked in pairs and had been killed in different ways. The media had a frenzy with the story and trying to speculate on who the killer might be, like, you know, like they do. And it was brought up on more than one occasion that the Malat brothers had countless run-ins with the authorities. Mm-hmm. They were known to possess firearms and only lived about an hour away from the Belanglo Forest. Yeah. The authorities, however, had no evidence that would warrant a search of the Millat property. Once news of the discovery of the bodies and the search for the killer reached news outlets internationally, tips started flooding in. One in particular came from a man named Paul Onions. Nice. Onions. He was an ex-Navy member who had backpacked around Australia a few years prior. On November 13th, 1993, Onions called the authorities to remind them of a report that he had filed while he was there. So apparently on January 25th, 1990, while he was, you know, doing his backpacking, he had been hitchhiking from Liverpool Station to Mildura, and he accepted a ride from a man just outside of Casula, who called himself Bill. The trip had begun uneventfully, but as they were driving, Bill began asking questions that unsettled Onions, which... Yeah, especially when the questions are something like, did anyone know where he was going, Ooh. or mm. was anyone waiting for him at his destination, Wow, etc., etc. When they had just passed Mittagong and were less than one kilometer from Langlo State Forest, Bill stopped and pulled out a revolver and some rope, stating that this was now a robbery, at which point Onions made a run for it. The two fought briefly and the man fired a shot before Onions was able to flag down a passing car and escape. He, along with that, motorists filed a report with the police who told him that it would be unlikely that they would find the man responsible.
1: <laughs> what a nice thing. I know, right? <laughs> I don't know. We got a lot of people coming in and out of here. I don't, I don't know.
0: <laughs> this was able to be corroborated by the person who saved Onions and the girlfriend of a man who worked with Malat.
1: Ooh.
0: With this statement, as well as eventually finding the written statement, you know, several months later on April 13th, 1994, <laughs> police were able to set up a police surveillance at the Milat. Police learned that recently he had sold his four-wheel drive Nissan Patrol shortly after the discovery of the first two bodies. Hmm... Hmm. Police were also able to confirm that he had not been at work on any of the days of the attack. Furthermore, Malat's acquaintances informed the police of his obsession with weapons.
1: To be fair, I like weapons.
0: To be fair, this was an unhealthy obsession with weapons. Oh. One source even claimed that his ex-wife's parents' house was... W- burnt down by him post-divorce. So he's not above trying to kill people apparently.
1: Obviously.
0: When the connection was made between Onion's experience and the murders, he was flown out to Australia where he positively identified Malat as the man who picked him up and attempted to assault him. Ooh. Authorities also reached out to the women who had been hitchhiking in 1977 near that forest who narrowly escaped murder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the ones from before, who he got out of that whole thing because of his lawyer. Yeah. After they were shown a series of photos, one of the women identified the Millat brothers as the ones who kidnapped them. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy, right? What a
1: coincidence.
0: On May 22nd, 1994, Millat was arrested on robbery and weapons charges related to the attack on Onions. Uh, I also have to mention 50 officers surrounded the home during his arrest. Like, this was huge. They then searched Milat's home where they found various weapons, including a 22 caliber rifle and parts of another 22 caliber rifle that matched the type used in the murders. Mm. They also found a Browning pistol and a Bowie knife, but those were just the weapons found. Investigators also found in his home's items belonging to several of the victims. Other items found were firearm cartridges electrical tape, both of which used and found at the crime scenes, Indonesian currency. Malat had never been to Indonesia. However, Nugenbauer and Habshid had been there just before their travels to Australia. Mm. Backpacking equipment was also uncovered around the house, even inside the walls. What? Um, and this equipment belonged to the victims. Oh. They also found a postcard from New Zealand, who referred to Malat as Bill. Bill. They then searched the homes of his mother and five of his brothers. Also finding victims' belongings there. Like, he dispersed it. He just, <laughs> like, here, Ma, hold this for me. Milad appeared in court on May 23rd on the charges of kidnapping and attempted robbery, but did not enter into a plea deal. On May 31st, he was then charged with the murder of the seven backpackers. A committal hearing was held for him that lasted between October 24, 1994 and December 12, 1994, where over 200 witnesses had appeared. Hmm. That's a fucking lot. That's a lot. Based on the evidence, it was determined that he would remain in custody until June of 1995. The trial then opened on March 26, 1996. Malat's defense argued that despite the evidence shown, there was no non-circumstantial evidence that Malat was guilty and attempted to shift blame um, to the rest of his family. I'm sorry, <laughs> didn't he have actual victims' belongings? But see, the belongings were also found in his family's house. And something I didn't mention was that he shared his house with his sister, whose name I have forgotten, and did not write down.
1: Like, sure, it was at his family's house, but that's his family. That's not him. Maybe they did it. I don't know.
0: Over 145 witnesses took the stand, including members of his own family, who tried to give him alibis. But after 18 weeks of testimony, on July 27, 1996, the jury found Millat guilty. He was given a life sentence on each count of murder without possibility of parole. He was also convicted of the attempted murder, imprisonment, and robbery of onions, for which he received six years of jail For each one. He was held in a high security section at Goldburn Supermax, which just sounds like a superstore, until May of 1997 when he was diagnosed with terminal esophagus and stomach cancer. Ah. During his time in Goldburn, he went on several hunger strikes and would swallow sharp objects if the guards did not meet his demands. Oh, what
1: a little (laughs) fucking baby.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he passed away in October of 2019. Wow, that's... So recent. So recent. Family members of those whom Milat killed were hopeful that he would have had some deathbed confessions Uh, regarding the murders, like more details, because there's really not a whole lot known. But that didn't come. Authorities also believe that Milat may have been connected to other murders in the area. However, with no proof, the cases remained unsolved. So just a fun fact now, since the story was, you know, pretty depressing, despite lack of or despite, you know, lack of detail. There's a 2005 film and a sequel from 2013 called Wolf Creek and Wolf Creek 2 that was based on this. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. There's also a podcast, which I found out literally like two hours ago before recording this, that released prior to his death a five-part series on the murders. The podcast is called Case File True Crime Podcast, and go check them out. I've not listened, but I'm going to have to, but it's a five-parter on this
1: yeah that sounds really interesting
0: totally worth it and speaking of podcasts check out this promo for true crimes and weird times
1: yes they are super cool um super awesome i went to (laughs) check out their podcast and listen to an episode or two ended up binging five or six episodes definitely good go listen also
0: the nicest people ever they were so nice they were so nice Okay, listen, listen, listen. listen. We'll be right here when you get back.
1: I'm Kim. And I'm Ashley. And we host True Crimes and Weird Times, where we answer questions like... Did the government really kill Danny
0: Casolero? Did you know that the movie Scream was based on an actual serial killer?
1: How much do you know about skinwalkers? Join us every Wednesday for your weekly dose of True Crimes, The Unexplained, and the Just Plain Weird. Check out our website, truecrimesweirdtimes.com. Find us on Instagram and Facebook. And listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. So come check us out. We'll be waiting.
0: (laughs) Hi, welcome back. So Grace, now that we have heard my story of the backpacker murders...
1: Yes. What is your story? Okay, so my story is yaoi's.
0: Yaoi's? Yes.
1: Why does that sound familiar? I don't know. Okay, so my sources are Wikipedia, thesun.co.uk, two of those, dailymail.co.uk, news.com.au, and abc.net.au. Nice. So, uh, Yaoi is one of the many names for a creature said to roam the Australian outback. There are 15 other names the creature goes by. 15. That's a lot. Yeah. All over Australia, like, um, Quinkin, Jugabina, Jurawara, Potikan, Dulaga, Yaroma, Nukuna, Wawi, Pengharlangu, and maybe Yahoo. I'll bring Yahoo up later. You'll understand no okay no uh <laughs> they may not all be the same thing but a lot of these names stem from aboriginal australian legends in which the creatures are i mean they're they're fairly similar th- so i think that's why most people either assume that they're the same or they actually are the same i don't know okay the yaoi is usually described as a hairy and a polite creature that's why yes. i know so it. yeah okay. it's a it's Kind of thought to be like the Australian Bigfoot. Yeah, standing upright, the creature should reach about six foot eleven inches to twelve feet. Some say like five feet, but it never goes below five feet. So it's always like between (laughs) five feet to twelve feet, which is a pretty big range. But you know, I could be taller than a (laughs) Yowie. You could be. Yeah. The Yowie's feet are described as much larger than a human's, but Alleged yaoi tracks have often been inconsistent in shape and the amount, and, like, when it comes to the amount of toes, and... So specific. The descriptions of yaoi feet and footprints provided by witnesses vary even more than those of Bigfoot. Like, a lot. Okay. Yeah. The Yowie's nose is often described as wide and flat, and some witnesses report the yaoi as timid or shy, while others describe the Yowie as sometimes violent or aggressive.
0: I'm picturing pug-faced
1: Bigfoot. I love it. I know that's not what it looks like, but that's what I'm picturing. Picture an orangutan. The origin of the name Yowie isn't completely known. The term was in use in 1875 among the Gilamare people and... Kay. That I might have said that wrong. I googled it and that's how it's said to say it, so don't hate me, I'm sorry. And documented in Reverend William Ridley's Gilliam Murray and other Australian languages in which he writes, Yowie is a spirit that roams over the earth at night. Others say it evolved from aboriginal legends of the Yahoo, like I said before which some say is backed up by an 1842 account written about the indigenous people's belief in a being they described as resembling a man of nearly the same height with long white hair hanging down from the head over the face, the arms extraordinarily long with talons on the hands and feet turned backwards so that when running from man, the imprint appear to be traveling in the opposite direction which is something we've seen in quite a few different countries
0: it also sounds like the um the oh what is it called starts with a p the the pug
1: the pukwudgie pukwudgie yes and which i think is really interesting that over all of these different like varying native cultures all over the world have in their such similar such similar creatures the backwards feet thing Uh, That's so interesting to me. So,
0: see, the only thing I can think of, like, with backwards feet is maybe they're thinking, like... In a way to trick you, maybe? I don't know. Well, no. Like, I'm trying to think, like, animal-wise. Like, horses. Their knees bend backwards. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. So, like, a hooven animal of some sort? I don't know. With feet? (laughs)
1: But they don't have any hoes. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's why i said i move know. an animal um, with feet but the difference in this one is that creature seems to have more ape-like appearance than others that we've seen yeah with the smush nose more smushed face than smushed nose i mean oh. yes yeah, nose. so it is pug face <laughs> yeah, i think that's why it says it's so ape-like so it looks like an orangutan kind of but columnist margaret jones wrote in the sydney morning herald in 1987 that the first Australian Yaoi sighting was said to have taken place as early as 1795, but I couldn't find much about, like, Aboriginal sightings before that. I don't Mm -hmm. know if it was just, like, if I was just looking in the wrong place, or if they don't talk about it as much, but I couldn't find a lot. Which is interesting, because they obviously told the colonizers about the creature, because in... 1876, the Australian Town and Country Journal asked readers if they too had been told by indigenous people about the so-called yahoo devil, devil, or hairy man of the wood. And yeah. in another article six years later entitled Australian Apes, amateur naturalist Henry James McCuey claimed to have seen what he called an indigenous ape, which I'm hoping in this case was not a racist connotation and it was meaning more like the ape-like creature indigenous people talked about
0: yeah but yeah
1: he saw it on the south coast of new south wales between bateman's bay and ulladulla he said It was uh, standing upright, it would probably be about five feet tall, and that it was tailless and covered with long black hair, which was a dirty reddish color around the throat and chest, and its eyes were small, restless, and partially hidden by matted hair that covered its head. And of course, he threw a stone at the animal, and it ran away. Oh, of of course. He... Also offered to capture an ape for the Australian Museum for 40 euros. Okay. A second wave of reported sightings appeared in 1912. The Yowie appeared in Donald Friend's Hillendiana, a collection of writings about the gold fields near Hillend in New South Wales. Friend describes the Yowie as a species of bunny yip, which I don't actually- I don't want to go into because I want to cover it in another bunny episode. Yip? Bunny yips. Yes. Bunny yip. The Yowie is also apparently mentioned in a number of Australian tall stories and legends in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. In 1928, at Palin Creek, Bob Mitchell said he and a friend were riding through the area about 10 a.m. when they saw a Yowie. He said that they saw Yaoi standing in the clearing not far from them. He said in that light, there was no mistaking it. It was about seven feet tall with black human-ish face and a gorilla-like body covered in thick brownish hair. It showed no aggression, just looked at them for a moment and then turned and disappeared into the bush. He also said it had really big feet and can move really fast.
0: All right, that's kind of different than Bigfoot
1: because he's not that fast. Yeah, So here's some more modern Sighting starting in like the 70s. Yeah. So in the mid 1970s, the Quan Ban Festival. Board and radio station 2CA together offered a $200,000 reward to anyone who could capture and present a yaoi. The reward has yet to be claimed despite all of the sightings, I'm about to tell you. Mm. In late 1976, Woodenbong resident Thelma Crew said she saw two creatures in her yard on Richmond Street. She didn't turn on the light at first because the moon was so bright that night, and she stood at her open window looking at the view when a creature walked onto her lawn from the vacant lot next door and just stood there for two or three minutes just staring at her. (laughs) Yeah, she said it was sort of flexing its arms in a circular motion in front of its face. Then the creature moved towards the side of the house where her husband was sleeping, and that's when she noticed there was another creature exactly the same height standing under her bedroom window. Oh, that's creepy. They were both about five feet tall and covered in tan-colored hair, their heads seemed to be sunk low into their shoulders and she couldn't see facial features properly because of the mm. light and that they had a sort of shuffling walk which is very interesting shuffling yeah walk. 10 months later jean maloney told the newspaper that her australian terrier this one's sad uh her australian what? terrier had been attacked by a yowie. she said it she was woken by her dog barking and ran into her backyard where she saw the creature right in front of her she said it's like, she stopped breathing because it, like, frightened her so much. Yeah. She claimed it was sitting on its haunches and had the dog completely pulled against its chest as if it was, like, trying to crush the life out of it. Mm. It suddenly stood up, looked right at at her, and dropped the dog. She described the creature as more than six feet tall, with an almost hairless face, ape-like, with a heavy brow, no chin or neck, and reddish-colored hair hanging from its arm and legs. She also said it was definitely a male because its genitals were very apparent. (laughs) i'm sorry ma'am i'm something that's very common with this you'll see with Um, this that's
0: not common with bigfoot that's actually really interesting
1: yeah a photo was taken of the dog but the creature was never found the only uh, possible physical evidence to support her sighting was a 22 centimeter long footprint with five toes that was photographed by a Northern Star reporter and a hair sample that was sent to the University of Queensland for analysis. Results of the tests were inconclusive and the footprints were no bigger than human tracks. Mm-hmm. In 1977, an article in the Sydney Morning Herald reported that residents on Oxley Island near Taree recently heard screaming noises made by an animal at night, which is apparently something that the Yowie does quite frequently.
0: Oh yeah, the yaoi's a screamer.
1: Yes. So I don't have a lot of stories mentioning that because I went and I looked on Reddit because I had I had read stories similar before but I couldn't find them. Yeah, I don't know where they went. That is disappeared In 1977, in Springbrook, in southeast Queensland, former. Queensland Senator Bill O'Chi reported to the Gold Coast that when he was younger he had seen a yowie while on a school trip in Springbrook. O'Chi compared the creature to, he saw to the character Chewbacca from Star Wars <laughs> and that the creature he saw had been over 3 meters tall. I don't know what that is in feet. Don't ask me. In the late 1990s there were are you going to google it? I am. Okay. 9.8 feet. Oh, that's tall. Almost 10 feet tall. So, in the late 1990s, there were several reports of Yowie sightings in the area around Kathia Hill. Uh, one was by a mango farmer named Katrina Tucker who reported that the creature had been on her property. Photographs of the footprint were collected, but what she saw was never found. Oh. In 1996, a couple from Newcastle claimed while on a driving holiday, they saw a Yowie. They said it was a shaggy creature walking upright, standing at the height of meters tall with oddly long arms and no neck in august of 2000 a man in canberra steve piper described seeing an unknown bipedal beast in the brindabella mountains piper caught the incident on tape and it's referred to as the piper film and i tried to find this and i don't know if i didn't look well enough or whatever Mm -hmm. but i could not find it so i was just you're like the google
0: queen so i'm gonna
1: say like It probably doesn't exist. I don't know. Maybe I just didn't put enough effort in. (laughs) (laughs) Possible. Possible. Another dog was attacked and killed near Darwin, and Yowie investigator Andrew McGinn said it could have been the result of a Yowie attack, but the owners themselves believe it was just dingoes. Probably. Probably. August 15th, 2001, Mrs. Crowton cook working for a local doctor, saw a yaoi-like animal walking on all fours at midnight on the corner of McGarrigal Road and Mulgowie Road, and... <laughs> Like she saw it when she was driving along, she told the Australian Yowie Research Organization that the creature was covered in dark hair and looked like a large version of an orangutan, which a large version, version of an orangutan. Of orangutan. Yeah, those things are fucking huge.
0: Yeah, so it was larger than an orangutan. It,
1: yes, that's. I mean, very, if very it's
0: measuring nine point eight four feet tall, then I mean that's it, pretty tall.
1: They're very tall. Hold on. Okay, maybe they're not as tall as
0: I thought. I What's think the- they They have a really good big arm span. That's what you're
1: thinking of. That is what I'm thinking of. That is what I'm thinking of. Okay. So, in 2010, a can man say, said he saw an animal described, he described as a juvenile covered in hair with long arms that almost touched the ground in his garage and didn't know what it could be until a friend later told him it might be a yaoi. Might
0: be a yaoi. It might
1: be. In March 2011, a witness reported to the NSW National Parks and Wildlife Service seeing a yowie in the Blue Mountains at Springwood, west of Sydney. The witness had filmed the creature and taken photographs of its footprints. And that's another one where I couldn't find the video, but the specific video, but there are a lot of different, like, videos and photos out there of people mm-hmm. saying, like, this is a yowie. So, yeah. In May of 2012, a United States television crew claimed it had recorded audio of a yaoi in a remote region on the New South Wales-Queensland border.
0: What did it sound like? I don't know.
1: Oh. March 2014, it seemed to be a busy time for the yaoi. Two yaoi researchers claimed to have filmed it in South Queensland using an infrared tree camera. They also collected fur samples and found large footprints. Uh, Later that year, a gimpy man told media he had encountered yaoi's on several occasions, including conversing with... Conversing with a yaoi? Mm -hmm. And teaching English to a very large male yaoi in the bush northeast of gimpy, and several people in Port Douglas claim to have seen yaoi's near Mowbray and at the Rocky Point Range. And I think that that man is so interesting.
0: I would agree. He's the most interesting man in the world currently. To me.
1: In 2016, a walker claimed to have seen the creature while making their way through Queensland Darling Downs near Toowoomba. The woman who requested anonymity said she was six meters from the ape like animal at one point. She described it as a muscular, seven foot tall creature with a head like a gorilla and long arms. She tried to get it to turn around. Like, she was like, hey, turn around. (laughs) But she was scared. Hey, buddy, look at me. Hey, you turn around. Do it. Do
0: it. Do it. Do it. <laughs>
1: Cat calling a yow. <laughs> uh, sept- <laughs> September 2016, a video was posted to the Yowie Hunters YouTube page depicting a large humanoid creature about 100 meters away walking through dense forest in New South Wales. And in the video, you hear a ranger saying, That's too dark to be a kangaroo. And it was pretty dark. That's too dark. It was like a 20 second clip and as he finishes speaking, the unidentified animal, which like it looks like it's like in hunched over but large and it's just like walking through the tree. It's very weird. March 5th, 2018 around 7 p.m. This is, I think, my favorite story. Okay, I'm listening. A woman was on her way home after cricket training. She was driving along a dirt road and went over a cow crossing before she pulled over to an area um, that was like bulldozed and trees were pushed down on one side. So if she could go pee, why not? Once she finished, she heard something around her but wasn't sure what it was. And she decided to howl to see if it was a wild animal like hiding in the trees. And she was shocked when it responded. When it howled back. Yeah. <laughs> she heard a growl and grunting in response and she pulled her cricket back back she, just in case she needed to swing like thinking it was like, some asshole trying to mess with her. Yeah. When it knocked twice on a tree. Oh. She knocked back twice. It did it again. She did too. And she was like, fuck this. Um, basically like howled and screamed, which was the wrong thing to do. And that's when everything went sideways. Mm-hmm. She heard a thumping coming down the hill, sounding so heavy, like, unlike anything she'd ever heard before. And it felt like the ground was moving beneath her feet. Oof. No. Yeah. The creature yeah. was suddenly 10 meters away and growling and grunting as it made its way toward her. She ran Quickly ran and jumped in her car, and when the lights turned on, she was shocked to see it standing in front of her car. She said it was six to seven feet tall and covered with hair about five inches long. It had hair down its cleavage—yes, cleavage—and on top of its breasts. Its eyes were the size of golf balls, and its hands were huge, with like the length of its arms. So femiowy. Yes, and its hands were touching its knees. Like I mean, it. They weren't. It was twerking. Yeah. No. Uh. Its hand. Its arms were so long that the hands could touch the knees. Touch
0: the knees. Okay.
1: (laughs) It wasn't just like twerking there in front of her twerking just
0: giving her a little show
1: i mean flashing the car's headlights on the creature the woman noticed that it had reddish blue eyes
0: that's kind of creepy
1: yeah it also had a beard and hair over its top lip the mouth is the scariest part of this i think it was so big it was five to seven inches long which is literally half a foot long it's my face length. become the joker oh The creature just stood in front of the car, swaying side to side before running away as, like, right as the woman was about to take a picture. Mm hmm February of 2019 in Cairns, Queenland, a woman claimed she was walking out in the bush when she ran into what she originally thought was just a dude dressed up in a gorilla suit. And she seemed to have surprised it because it promptly physically struck her in the back and pushed her down a hill. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) She's... Did
0: she get away i mean obviously she got away
1: okay yeah, but did she
0: get away okay she's fine
1: okay so just as there are bigfoot hunters there are Yowie hunters so there are hunters or researchers like yeah. cryptozoologist rex gilroy who since the mid-1970s like ufo hunters he, this guy's both oh Yes, a uh, cryptozoologist and UFO aficionado, Rex Gilroy, who <laughs> since the mid-1970s has attempted to popularize the Yowie. Gilroy claims to have collected over 3,000 reports of them and proposed they comprise a relic population of extinct ape or homo sapiens. He believes that the Yowie is related to the North American Bigfoot along with his partner Heather Gilroy. The couple has spent 50 years amassing his yowie collection. And then there're yowie hunters like Tim the Yowie Man. Oh, what a fun nickname. Yeah. Uh he is a published author who claims to have seen a yowie in the Brindabella Ranges in 1944, and since then Tim the Yowie Man has investigated yowie sightings and other paranormal phenomena. He also writes regular <laughs> He writes a regular column in the Australian newspapers, the Canberra Times, and the Sydney Morning Herald. The most popular person I found was Dean Harrison, who said he was nearly killed by a Yowie on two occasions. I read both of his accounts, and he just heard some rustling, like... That doesn't mean you were nearly killed. Yeah. I'm <laughs> Like, I'm sorry. I don't anyway... It's not he, like you
0: had giant boulders thrown at you. For real.
1: He even claimed he once saw Yowie get tagged with a tracking device by intelligent agents at a rural Queensland army base in the 1990s. A spokeswoman from the Australian Security Intelligence Organization said... ASIO is not currently monitoring any Yowies. No Yowies here. So when it comes to theories, Australian historian Graham Joyner maintains the Yowie has never existed. He points out that it was unknown before 1975 and says it originated in a misunderstanding. Basically saying that the creature known as the Yahoo and the many other names I used before, including the hairy man or Australian gorilla, was likely an undiscovered marsupial that went prematurely extinct by the early 20th century Mm -hmm. and that there is evidence of its former existence. He wrote a book entitled The Hairy Man of Southeastern Australia, which is basically a collection of documents about the Yahoo. It was based on research that started in 1970 and summarized in a paper dated July 1973, which... At the time, the Yahoo had, like, been basically forgotten about and nothing had been heard of the alleged Yowie. And he since explained that the book was published to promote the Yahoo and to counter, not endorse, the Yowie. So according to Joyner, the Yowie didn't come into being until a review of John Napier's 1972 book, Bigfoot, the Yeti, and Sasquatch in Myth and Reality, in a Sydney newspaper, after which cryptozoologist and UFOologist Rex Gilroy that I just talked about earlier, compared yep. this to the aboriginal figure from Western and Central Australia, claiming that Australia had its own Bigfoot. Everywhere got its own Bigfoot. Big and put. yeah, and that theory by Joyner might be backed up, that it was a creature that went extinct prematurely. Mm-hmm. That might be backed up by Old Bungary, a man considered to be the last full-blooded aboriginal person of the... Gunnedar tribe born around 1817 and he said that at one time there were tribes of yahoos and that they were the original inhabitants of the country oh okay. and this is coming from somebody who their history was a verbal history that had been passed down from generation to Generation, generation yeah so I mean that makes you think like it really does somebody who's been told all of this obviously had been told about an entire species of Mm -hmm. creature that they personally fought with and lived with. So Professor Bill Lawrence from James Cook University says that we shouldn't be too quick to dismiss the dedicated work of crypto biologists and zoologists, such as Dean Harrison, because cryptozoologists have made like a lot of valuable discoveries. So like even though you want to laugh at some of the really weird stuff they say, like saying they saw some a uh, Yahweh get tagged at an army base. Yeah. I mean they've been known to find quite a few new species of animals while searching for so-called cryptids. Yeah. He also said that it's not totally impossible that they'll find evidence of these creatures because when you take a look at places like the Amazon where we haven't even scientifically discovered half of all the plants and possibly just a tenth of the planet's insects species. Mm. Mm. Plus animals are being discovered all over the world all the time.
0: Let's talk about the like 70% of the ocean we've not explored.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I've been thinking about this for a long time now. And I also want to mention that when it comes to creatures that we typically call cryptids, a lot of them come from native folklore. And I think i'd like to stop calling them cryptids because like like the skinwalker thunderbird wendigo and pukwudgie Mm -hmm. because like a cryptid is an animal that the definition is technically like an animal whose existence is unsubstantiated Mm -hmm. and while there might not be proof of these legends they come from really old cultures and religions and they have a really big significance within those cultures and i feel like i wouldn't call fairies or the green man cryptids so why call these creatures cryptids you know what we I mean? You can just call them legends. Right. Because so, they are
0: definitely legends.
1: Yes. So I just, I don't know. I just felt like I had to put that in
0: here. 100%. I agree.
1: On a different note, there yes. are two fun facts that I wanted to leave us off with because I thought they were both so interesting. Okay. Okay. The first is that YAWI is used as an acronym. So capital Y, lowercase O, capital W I and E means Young Woman in Engineering, which stands, it's for a three-day engineering summer school program at the University of New South nice. Wales School of Engineering and Information Technology for nice. girls in their third and fourth years of secondary education. The I love program it. aims to increase girls' confidence that they succeed in engineering and to increase their awareness of the importance of studying mathematics and science. To prepare for university level engineering studies, mm-hmm. which I thought was super cool. I love it, it's fantastic. The second fun fact is that there's a candy in Australia called Yowie that's based on this creature. <laughs> There's chocolate surprise eggs. They're in the shape of different Yowie characters. Oh my gosh! And then they come with a little animal inside, and they all are like different guardians of key wild habitats. I want one. I I don't. I we there are American versions too. I don't
0: want the American version.
1: No, like it's Americanized. It's the same company, the same thing. It's just that they have American animals inside. So like. A bald eagle. I want the Australian one. I don't want no darn bald eagle. Interestingly <laughs> enough, in 2004, Tim the Yowie Man won a legal case against Cadbury because that was one of the companies that owned the Yowie thing in the past. Yeah. They claimed that his name was too similar to their Yowie candy, but he won. <laughs> they were like, no.
0: Pretty sure his existed probably first. No. Um,
1: No. No. But, the um, yaoi is, I guess, public, so yeah, it's a public name. So, after researching all of this, I also got I uh, was scrolling through Facebook and I got this ad <laughs> for yaoi world. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, I thought that was really funny, but yeah, that was my story. The yaoi, yaoi wowie.
0: I love. That there are so many different variations of the Bigfoot creature.
1: Yeah, and how there's a twist for each one. There
0: is. And it's different for each one, which really has me thinking that it's real. Because it exists in every part of the world and it's got certain characteristics that are specific to those parts just like
1: humans do and part of me wonders if it's like because of like neanderthals if because we know that humans and neanderthals at one point interacted because i mean me (laughs) i have neanderthal dna so I'm wondering if, like, it stems from that or if there legitimately were these creatures. And I think that's so cool.
0: Uh, regardless, it's super cool. But
1: yes, thank you for Thank you so, listening so much. Thank um, you for your story. I like that story.
0: I did too. I like both our stories. Yeah. They were good.
1: You can follow
0: us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Myths and Misfortunes.
1: Or Twitter at Miss Misfortune, or you can search for us using our full name, Miss and Misfortunes, we do pop up.
0: Fun fact, we have a TikTok now. Um.
1: Uh, we have not posted <laughs> anything. So. No, we have
0: not. <laughs> You can also send us an email to mythsandmisfortunes at gmail.com and please check out our website, mythsandmisfortunes.com. Our numbers have been climbing on people visiting our website, so thank you all so much. I do promise I have some time off right now. I'm going to i'm gonna try to spruce us up a little bit
1: <laughs> oh that'd be cool our theme music was composed by making fulbright and our art was created by heather marie atkins
0: their websites can be found in the description below
1: and please don't forget to rate review subscribe please please rate love. and review us on itunes it's um, helping so much please. if you do you get like all our love our love um all of our respect. from a distance. Um, yes
0: currently from a distance
1: i'll uh say thank you we'll say thank you on the
0: air we yes. actually we thank you all for listening
1: yes thank you so much for your listening you all are so cool so awesome yes. for listening to us talk
0: and thanks
1: good night thank you. Goodbye. or goodbye goodbye and good night